Hey, all you crazy sci-fi and fantasy fans, it's time for your daily dose of shenanigans over here at the Blasters and Blades podcast. Just three nerdy veterans geeking out over our science fiction passions and fantastical fantasies. A place where magic is king, the sky is the limit, and space is the place. We are the podcast that puts the fun in dysfunction. So without further ado, I'm going to introduce the topic. So if you're listening on... on uh, the YouTubes, you can see the image. You already know what's going on. If you're listening, you read the title, I hope. But we're doing another fireside chat just to mix things up. And uh, since we are entering into the spooky season of Spooktober, we figured, uh, why not talk about vampires? We've done horror. Uh, we've talked about Hocus Pocus. Now let's talk about vampires. So um, before we get this started on the topic at hand, we're going to let our panelists introduce themselves. So I went in alphabetical order. Um, not by order of preference, because you're all special to me. But uh, David Carrico, could you introduce yourself to our listeners and viewers? Sure. I'm David Carrico. I write science fiction and fantasy, uh, ranging all the way from alternate history in Eric Flint's Ring of Fire universe to my most recent novel, which is a vampire novel with a twist. All right. All right, next, Declan. Um, can you introduce yourself to our audience? Sure. My name is Declan Finn. Um, as penance for my sins, I have lived the last 40 years of my life in New York City. Uh, I am the author of 30 published novels, uh, four of which are vampires. And two of the vampire novels were nominated for Dragon Awards uh, in what was it, 2016 and 17. The first two. Uh, first two Dragon Awards, um, where I basically decided... I was going to make the vampire mythos make sense because, good God, it's all over the place. Um, but I will write pretty much anything that's not nailed down and some things that are. All right. And uh, Griffin, first, can we say I love your backdrop? That um, That's, that's well-touched. And you got the dark one sort of uh, haloing you. So was that planned? I don't know. But you, well done. Just to match uh, my soul, you know, so I can beat my head against the wall. Yeah, I, I get it, and I approve. But uh, can you introduce yourself to our audience? I'm Griffin Barber. I'm a, a retired police officer and author. Uh, I've also written with Eric Flint, uh, as David did, uh, on the 1632 universe. I also write fantasy and uh, a little bit of horror and some science fiction as well. I've got a couple of stories that uh, involve a necromancer who's also a little bit of a vampire. Uh, and uh, they've been out in a couple of different anthologies, and I'm working on the, the novel for it. Uh, uh, using that character as well. So okay. I'm very happy to be here tonight. I always assumed vampires was like being pregnant. You either are or you aren't. How do you become a little bit of a vampire? <laughs> well, depends on what you what you feed on. Uh, you know, if it's the blood or if it's something else. So the, the psychic vampire of what we do in the shadows is uh, okay. another, another element of that. So, yeah. Uh, a little bit like that. I will take it. All right. Miss Julie V, can you, uh, Julia, excuse me, can you introduce yourself? Hi, everyone. I'm Julia V. It's nice to be back on the show. This is a much more relaxing format. Um, also, I love this topic. And uh, not to be left out, I was a student of Eric Flint's. So it's really wonderful to be here with you guys. Uh, my co-author and I, Ken, we have a trilogy debuting with Tor next summer. That's a contemporary fantasy with Asian-inspired elements set in San Francisco. But for fun, we did write a Vampire Slayer series. It's set in post-apocalyptic Seattle. It's called the Seattle Slayer series. And uh, this is probably right on point for me, <laughs> this topic tonight. And we're here for it. All right. Miss Tamsin Silver. Hey, um, Tamsin Silver, I write with Falstaff Books. Um, I have a lot of vampire stuff out, actually. Um, it's why my Billy the Kid stuff doesn't have a vampire join until part of the third book, because I was like, we got a lot of those going on. Um, so I've got Mark the Necromancer. Interestingly enough, she too is a vampire necromancer, so I feel like maybe we are in the same universe somehow uh, there, Griffin. Um, but then I've also got the Sky of the Damned series, which started off as a web series when I lived in New York City. Uh, that's where we filmed that. And um, and then I continued it in book format. And so the first and second book of that are out. Um, and then I also have the Windfire series, which is the first thing that I ever did. And that is uh, that is the Windfire World 
and there'll be a new trilogy in that world coming out from Falstaff coming out in the next year called Moon Over Manhattan, which is a continuation of more vampires and werewolves in New York. Okay, uh, so I figure if we're going to talk about vampires, we're going to start with defining what is a vampire. And so I'm going in random order, but Griffin, you're going to go first this time. What is a vampire? Something that consumes the essence of others in order to survive, others of its own kind. So leeches, that kind of thing, uh, the vampire bat, but anything that actually has to feed upon its own kind in order to uh, prolong its own life. Okay, uh, Julie. Julia, I keep saying Julie. I don't know why. I got that stuck in my head and it's wrong and I apologize. It's Julia. Fine. So, you know, I, hearkening back to Twilight, one of the great classics, um, I would say that, you know, I was team Jacob. And part of that was because werewolves were alive and vampires were dead, right? So um, for me, the primary uh, adjective when I think of vampires is I think of undead. Right. They their hearts don't beat. Their blood doesn't pump. Right. And like Griffin said, they need uh, something from somebody else in order to live. Right. OK. Jacqueline, what about you? How would you define a vampire? It must be a supernatural creature. It is not something that appears in nature. It is not something natural. It's not something cute and cuddly. Um. Not that I have any pet peeves about this or anything. Um, yes, must live off of the essence of someone else. Uh, and that's a great way to put it, Griffin, because you've got incubi, which are a kind of vampire, which do live off of non-fluid related uh, items uh, from people. Uh, yes, uh, living animated corpses are optional. Uh, as far as I can tell, although uh, I've had some fun with that. And yes, they must be a supernatural thing, not bound by the laws of nature. And yeah, th they are basically a supernatural parasite that uh, looks like a person. Okay. What about you, David? Do you agree with that? Yes and no. Um my own story doesn't quite follow most of those tropes, but uh, traditionally those are the, what we've been hearing are the things that would normally apply to someone in the vampiric condition. Uh, I like the word parasite. I think that's particularly fitting for the, uh, uh, for the concept of, of the undead. Okay, and what about you, Ms. Tamsin? We've hit all of it pretty much. I mean, I know that I was on a panel at Dragon Con and someone talked about how they felt that if it was a vampire story that blood needed to be involved. Um, if it were, were sticking with if the regular mythos of some kind. Psychic vampires I've also seen uh, done very well. Um, but I do think it's, it's a creature that is superhuman in some way, shape or form um, that has extra powers they can choose to do good or bad with. Um, Declan and I totally have some that are good people, so sorry. Um, uh, I also have a form of living vampire in my Windfire series, so I don't necessarily need them to be dead. Um, it's it's an interesting play and a concept of something I read once and twisted around the way I wanted it. Um, but for me, they need to be superhuman. They need to have abilities that they have to make decisions. For me, it's about character. It's about what choices do you make with what you're given? And so um, for me, they have powers and they have to make decisions on whether or not they use them for good, bad, in between how they, how they, that affects who they are. And so for me, vampires are supernatural creatures that, that definitely cannot survive without finding a way to use other people. And how they do that affects who they are as a person or dead person or whatever. So Griffin, you had mentioned the essence, uh, consuming the essence was what made a vampire. So how would you define essence? Are you talking, you know, using fancy words to just mean blood or? No, well, I mean, that's, that's one of the, uh, traditionally that was what people thought, right? The, the four humors, et cetera, that made up people's blood, et cetera. So the essence being that, you know, and to stretch it in my case, and also in the, the fine, 
point that Declan brought up was the, you know, the succubus or uh, incubus, you know, feeding off of the uh, desires of a person, that kind of thing. Uh, the, uh, in my fantasy that I'm working on, it's pretty dark, but it's, they're feeding off the souls of uh, the recently deceased, preventing them from being joining the gods in uh, the afterlife. Um, so they're really despicable monsters in regard to that. So one of the most fun things about, uh, <laughs> about the whole uh, trope is, just as Tamsin said, is trying to make this uh, character who is obviously not going to be the best uh, situated to be a good guy uh, to make them uh, somebody that the reader wants to engage with and follow along in the story. Uh, so, you know, feeding on that essence, whatever it is, uh, it can be blood, but it also can be spirit. It can be their, their energies when they're engaged on a particular topic, et cetera, um, that kind of thing. So that's my long answer for that short question. So would consuming the souls make them even more horrific than just drinking their blood? I would, I would say so, yes. Okay. So are there, well, first off, would you consider, and this is to the everybody and, you know, I can point and call people out or we can just, you know, do an open sort of panel discussion. But do you think that there are certain tropes a book has to have to be a vampire story? Not necessarily. I mean, hell, uh, my own personal vampire story was it's going to look like it's going to be quote, vampire romance, and then there was, well, way too many explosions for that. But, uh, no, they're all over the map. Have you seen some of these things? <laughs> uh, you know, uh, you, you've got the vampire romance angle, which, who thought Bela Lugosi would have had vampire romance in a genre coming down, down the pike sooner or later? Uh, especially when you read the original Bram Stoker. Nobody was thinking, oh, this is going to be uh, love story stuff. No. Uh, you've got the horror genre. You've got the urban fantasy genre. You have, heck, Jim Butcher by himself has got four different types of vampire kicking around just the Harry Dresden universe. So it's all over the place. And frankly, you can use uh, metaphysical concepts like I did, and I think even David did, um, I use metaphysics because I cheated. I had, I, you know, one of my majors was philosophy. So it's like, yes, we're going to take Thomas Aquinas and we're going to inflict it on vampires. Um, no, my professors did not see that coming. So they're all over the place. You know, hell, how many people just use vampires as a substitute for, well, I don't want to explain superpowers. So we're going to just make it vampires. I do think it's trope specific, right? If you are uh, reading a romance and you're a romance reader, you have expectations of what should be in there. And um, I was on a, uh, I was enjoying a panel at Dragon Con talking about this, right? Where you, some of the early stuff like Bram Stoker, right? It, it comes from horror, but the notion of penetration, I think is hard to avoid, right? There's fangs. So um, if you are a romance reader, there is definitely something there about the traditional vampire approach. Um, the other thing too is because they're long lived, right? They am amass wealth and power and maybe they have secret societies. And so that becomes very alluring in urban fantasy and other fantasy contexts. Um, so I do think it just depends, you know, what your genre is. If you're writing monster stuff, then the vampire, uh, you know, the horror aspect, I think, becomes uh, maybe more uh, predominant. Okay, what about you, David? Do you think there are tropes that have to be there? I know from talking to you, you did lots of research and you categorized all of them. So, so weigh in. Okay, I'm the introvert and it's taking me a minute to get my words flowing. <laughs> uh, basic, okay. Basically, I don't think that all of the tropes have to be there. Uh, there's probably a certain minimalist set that you need to have. And the whole idea of parasitism would be one of them. Uh, I don't think undead necessarily 
it has to be. I don't think that, uh, you know, demonic influences or, uh, you know, uh, inherent evil necessarily has to be part of the vampire story. I've read too many stories in the last 10 years where people are trying to, they're trying to do the same thing now that they did with demons 20 years ago. They're trying to make good guys out of the vampires. So that uh, a lot of the standard tropes don't necessarily need to apply, but there has to be a certain minimalist set. And I think the, uh, uh, the idea of uh, super strength, the idea of longevity, the idea of uh, the parasitic uh, uh, consumption, and to to some extent, even the idea of uh, are they even human comes into play in one way or another in most vampire stories. And to what extent they still are, yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Especially after they've lived a very long time. Right. Yeah. Okay. Um, what about you, Griffin? Do you feel like there are certain tropes? If you want to want to expound on what David said, that have to be there. Well, the the cool thing is, I, I read. Uh, I was lucky enough to be one of the first readers for uh, David's uh, "The Blood Is the Life" and really dug it uh, because it it has the all the conspiracy trope kind of stuff going on. Uh, where there and government involvement and in trying to figure out whether the or paragovernment involvement and in trying to figure out what's going on with uh, uh, the the curse or, or the uh, state of being that vampires are in. So there's it's just like uh, you know anytime any discussion of tropes is going to be a long and lengthy one, given that it pretty much as Declan was saying, you can kind of paint with a broad brush and hit a lot of those points. Uh, the key is is that if the reader is going, yeah, this is a vampire story and you draw them through the whole thing uh, and leave them satisfied at the end, yeah, that was a pretty cool vampire story, then I think you've done your job with whether or not you hit every single trope or were a minimalist and just hit uh, two or three like David was talking about. In there. You just have the ones. Okay. Uh, would, you, would you like to expound on that, Tamsin? No, I don't think... I think we've covered a lot of it. I think... There are expectations people have when they know it's a vampire story. Um, I think the fact that they have something to do with fangs or teeth or that, I think that's something that needs to be there. Because um, I think everybody, there's a romanticism about some of that. Uh, which, as much as we all love Twilight, that was a thing. Like, she she even dreamed about, like, what it'd be like to be, like, they, they romanticize it. And I think that that's something that needs to be there somehow. Um, I think that I think there's just certain things people are looking for when they say it's a vampire novel. They want them to be uh, they want them to be tortured souls. They want them to be to be either evil or they want them to be good. Like they want one or the other. They like to see that. Um, so, yeah, I think that I think. But it, I think it really just comes down to good characterization. Well, and, and the, the aspect of that, too, the the the, the mesmer, uh, the mesmerism of the of the very dangerous predator staring at you and wanting you and you being like oh no i'm not, I'm not <laughs> oh I'm yeah not. there's oh no i i have i don't have any i don't have any choice right or or, or the opposite like right, i'm absolutely. still gonna i'm gonna resist i'm actually gonna resist but the, the that predator uh is you know it's the same you know i think it's kind of harkens back to the same creepy influence that uh you know the uh, mass murderers get fans, you know, they get fan clubs. Yes. Shit, yes. No, no. Uh, I think that there's kind of a similarity there uh, and it's you're able to kind of explore that with uh, vampire, vampire fiction with, in a safe manner, surrendering control, uh, this really lethal predator who would, uh, you know, otherwise be considered, uh, you know, something to be hunted down and killed. All of these things are, are possible in a, in a romantic setting. Uh, given that you've surrendered to these particular tropes uh, that are being along. One of the things that I kind of was interested in too is, is that how it migrated from, uh, even in Bram Stoker's, it, it migrates from basically a very rural, very medieval kind of setting to a very intensely urban setting. And how we, most of the stuff we refer to now is almost all urban in nature like the, yeah. the that's the vampire's natural uh kind of 
hiding place. Hunting ground. Well, you know, it's, it's interesting you say territory. that. <laughs> right? But it's interesting you say that. Like, I actually make reference to that in the Windfair series. They're all hanging out at a goth industrial club where I used to hang out in New York and other places. And, like, there were people there that thought themselves vampires or they just like the best place they could hide man like hang out in the goth industrial scene the way you dress no one's gonna know any different you're pale that's totally the goth scene no one cares like wearing fangs totally normal there like wearing all black being really mysterious in the shadows only seen in the evening totally the goth scene like there there are some reasons why it does fit better in that kind of situation for me oh i'm so sorry my dog it is. It is. Okay. So every origin, every piece of lore, generally speaking, has the first that comes into being. So is there a commonly agreed upon first vampire in fiction or is that universe or, you know, author dependent? Defi well, define fiction, because if you want to go into mythology fiction uh, as fiction, no, not really, because you've got Lilith on one end, you've got you got every. I think there's a blood drinking monster in everybody's mythology. Uh, I haven't studied literally everybody on the planet, but you turn around, it's on almost every continent, I think. So, uh, so if you're counting mythology as fiction, the answer is no. Uh, if you're counting, if you're talking about each individual person's world, I don't even know if I have that narrowed down yet. Uh, no, actually, I have it narrowed down. It was. Uh, a head cold from a blood drinking fae that jumped species and then had very nasty effect, side effects in humans. But that's me. <laughs> okay. Griffin is nodding along. So, so do you think there is a, a commonly agreed upon? Cause I I'd heard in some of the, the vampire stories, it was Judas was the first vampire. Um, but that's obviously very specific to one. Well, it's uh, funny that we've been talking about uh, DragonCon, which takes place in Atlanta, which is also the home of World of Darkness, which is the most successful uh, vampire role-playing game ever embodied. Uh, and uh, they have Cainites, is what they call their vampires. So they're descended from Cain and the story of Cain and Abel and that kind of thing. So, And I've heard that. And then also, um, uh, oh, the spear spear guy that uh, speared Jesus on the cross. Um, Longinus? Is it Longinus? Yeah. I can't remember. Thank you. So they, uh, he, he was the uh, predecessor for all vampires as well, being cursed by God because he uh, stuck a, a steel pointy thing into Jesus' side. So it, yeah, it's, it, it, I think that like Declan was saying, it's, it's very, very widespread uh, as a mythology. So it's, there's a lot of room to play around with the origin stories for, you know, and any given vampire may or may not know, which is also very fun to play with. David does it quite well with his uh, uh, story. And um, I've also seen it done with, I mean, pretty much everybody kind of, that's one of the elements of it is that mystery, right? Where does it all come from? Where, do, where does this curse come from? Well, it's answering questions, right? So if, um, if you are, looking at a lot of, uh, like you had mentioned, Griffin, that it starts in this sort of rural area uh, that, that, and now we think of it as intensely urban, but probably they needed to answer these questions about their, um, their dead, right? And uh, this was one of the answers they came up with. And, you know, even outside of Western culture, you have um, something known as hopping vampires when you get to Asia. And that is also a way of answering questions. Um, and so I, I, I think most people would agree that like from a fictionalized standpoint, um, there, there's some early entry points in Western film and Western literature. And that's how most of us now think of it. Right. Um, but if, if we're writing our own worlds and um, setting it up, like Faith Hunter does use that, um, story that you talked about, right? Like the the son, or I'm not the son. Sorry, the uh, the Jesus on the cross, right? That that's the origin story for you know the person that injures him is the one that it you know starts that mythology, uh, and in New Orleans ends up in New Orleans, right? Like so, uh, also intensely urban. Right? Well, 
of course it's of course it's urban you go where the food is right well and that's the thing too is, is so is the city the monster and the, the <laughs> is the big whale and the the vampire is the the lamprey feeding off the whale uh in the city you know it's really not about is it really about the people or is it about the city i always thought it was about obscurity right like if you live such a long time people will notice that you don't age so like the city is a good place to hide and go from city to city and then pretend to be your son or your own grandson or whatever right that's true so do you have anything to add to that one tamsin or are you agreeing with uh with what the other four have said on this one I what I think so wonderful about the whole vampire lore is I mean I have used the cane one um I've actually also used the entire bible to support an entire line of all of them. my mother's like church is going to be pissed I'm like awesome bad press is good press let's go um but uh I, I think that's one of the cool things is that you get to you get to make that up on your own you get to create that world you get to make the decision but yeah i think one of the most popular ones um other than uh other than kane is definitely lilith and i really do apologize to everyone listening for my australian shepherd who is louder than anything else on the planet um so at least yeah, it's not elvis this time that's my dog. <laughs> so, yeah. so, yeah. But I, I, I honestly, I agree with most everyone. I mean, like, that's, you, I mean, everybody knows of them, the, the, the usuals you can use. I um, mean, I used the usual one in my first series because, you know, it was my first time writing and I wanted to kind of go with that. But I've, I've, I've branched out with that in the Billy the Kid series that that uses the idea of um, some Irish folklore as the starting for them. So, you know, that's that's kind of the beauty is what do you need for your series and and where can you pull from? And I and I think that's what's really great about writing vampire stories. You get to choose. Okay. Well, we're about to dive into some fun questions that might get this conversation going. So before we do that, we're gonna pause for a moment while we shamelessly shill for the man. Here comes your next romp in the graveyard. In Hunters for Hire a new urban fantasy adventure by best-selling author Jonathan Yanez. A guy down on his luck puts sign twirling and rideshare driving on the back burner to track down the supernatural for a pretty penny. Find out what happens when John Hunter enters the secret underworld. Download your copy and start listening today. Now available on Amazon and Audible. All right, so we're back talking about vampires. And so, uh, Julie, you had mentioned something about one of the, the reasons that um, vampires move to cities is because they can hide in plain sight and because uh, they could hide their longevity by pretending to be the descendant of the descendant, et cetera, of their family. And, uh, wow, you just have a really strong likeness in your family. So <laughs> in an age that has gone remarkably digital, uh, the age being you know modern times, do you think it's the responsibility of the various lore creators, the authors, the movie makers, et cetera, to cover how they do that in an age where people like Griffin Barber could track you down and say, yeah, uh, that identity isn't real. And since you, you mentioned it, we'll go to you first. You know, there's a series I love by uh, Elizabeth Hunter and she has a, it's almost like Jim Butcher's Harry Dresden character. The vampires there can't interact with technology um, something about their biology like shorts out uh, computers and so they have to hire human assistants to solve them um, solve these issues and what I love about that is it creates opportunity for this constant engagement between um, vampires and humans right and then again answering that question like who's the monster who's the human right who has humanity um, in those relationships and I, I do think um, readers will suspend disbelief because they've picked up a fantasy novel like they they know uh, that you are going to have your own rules in your world. And it's OK. Right. You, you should address technology, um, make it fun and make it a rule that you stick with. Right. As you're going through your series. OK. Uh, what about you, Tamsin? Since uh, I've been asking you, I'll ask him to give you a chance to, to weigh in and wow us all first this time. Well, almost first. Sorry, Julia. <laughs> all right. I got, I got really wrapped up in what Julia was saying. Repeat the question. So with vampires being um, so long-lived in a modern age that is so increasingly digital, how do you, within the fiction of the universe, address the fact 
that it's becoming harder and harder for immortal beings to hide who they are. That is something that's definitely prevalent. I think that's something that a writer definitely has to consider. Um, I think that is their job because if they're writing it and if for people in the real world, they're going to know. Um, in Sky of the Damned, everybody knows vampires exist. So, poof, that's taken care of. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was a web series and we were like, okay, well, we got, you know, there's only so much money to film. <laughs> and there's only so much we want to address in that. So, um, so yeah, that made it the easiest. Um, but for some of mine, what you, we just definitely put them either in such a big group of people that, and they don't really talk to anyone other than the people that like other vampires and people in the supernatural world, or they're off the grid <laughs> completely. They're not online. They're not using anything. Um, and they're trying to stay off of that. And if they find out they are being tracked, they have to deal with it. Uh, which then comes down, of course, to that concept of what is your choice. Um, but I do think that I think it's something we have to at this stage. Oh, if you are writing, cool. if you are writing this at some time back in the day before there's internet and before there's all that, I think you get to free yourself from that a little bit, right? But I think if you're going to write in, I think that is the author's job. If you are writing current day, that that is something that at some point or another you need to address in your world build. But that's my opinion. All right. What about you, Declan? You write in uh, all kinds of modernity with your with your vampires. So so how do you think you address that then? Because we've sort of established that you kind of have to if you're going to write them in modern ages. So how do you address that as a creator to give them a plausible explanation? Well, that's actually the easy part, mainly because have you seen the scope and depth of identity theft these days? I mean, there are literally, it is a literally a multi-billion dollar industry to make people disappear on a regular basis. To have one person be five different people withholding God knows how many different places. You know, a normal human can do that. If something has been around for, you know, a few decades or a few centuries, it better be smart enough to adapt or die. Right. Uh, and frankly, you know, as somebody pointed out, um, if you're a hundred-year-old vampire and you're still broke, just walk out into the sunlight and be done with it. You're too stupid <laughs> to unlive. And frankly, even if the vampire doesn't know how to do this stuff itself, it can always just hire somebody. I mean, exactly. <laughs> so it, it, there are a whole bunch of ways to do it. Uh, my, me personally, I addressed it by having one of my main vampire characters having worked as a spy. So developing alternate identities was, you know, a hobby. Nice choice. I like it. Thank you. Well, the easy answer is vampires are attorneys. I beg your pardon. Vampires <laughs> are attorneys. Modern <laughs> culture with its Oh, the lawyers guild got All him. Of the shells. Who, who's actually running the government? Who's actually running all of the identity services? Okay. Who's actually so running the? Who's actually running the law schools? Vampires are attorneys. <laughs> Insert lawyer as bloodsucker joke here. Yes. All right. <laughs> We, we like some lawyers, so we, we can't go all, not all, right? All right, we asked you last, Griffin, because you got a kind of an unfair advantage with your background, but how would you go about it if you were going to create a plausible explanation shy of, well, everyone knows vampires are real, so I don't have to worry about it? Well, the, the, it really comes into play, like uh, Tamsin and everybody has said, is just that, you know, pawns on the, on the playing board. If the vampires live long enough, they're going to know how to manipulate the system if you also have stuff like ghouls where they're, you know, the servant is, is, uh, has no choice, but to do what the, uh, the vampire tells them to do, um, then obviously they're going to be able to have a, a, a day walking, uh, influence on, on what's going on. Um, so, you know, cases get called off lawyers, uh, decide they don't want to prosecute a case, um, because of something. Um, there's lots of cool stuff you can do with uh, with the, uh, playing around with that. 
And if you uh, in, involve like a, a hierarchy among the vampires, now you've got even more fun to be had as far as, uh, you know, just somebody getting somebody else got because they uh, are, are in a political feud with them and they want them discovered or want them exposed. Um, but the story may be, may lie in the young vampire, right? The young vampire who doesn't have any influence aside from whatever they can reach out in touch with their fingertips. So the spy that Declan's talking about uh, is probably a really cool idea, uh, given that they probably already have accrued some influence or at least have read the book on how to influence people uh, kind of stuff. So, yeah, it, it really involves much more about uh, what stage of life you want them to be at and also whether or not they're the protagonist or the antagonist. Um, if you want to set them up as the antagonist, then that's a lot of fun. If you've got a bunch of humans trying to track down this person, this, this leech that has set themselves up to be, you know, like they own the chief of police, they own the district attorney, they own the mayor, all that kind of stuff. It becomes rapidly uh, in, intense and very noir uh, in, in, its, in aspects of it. So, yeah, there's, there's okay. a, lot of, a lot of fun. Yeah. So what is it you think about vampires that makes them so popular that, that the – you know, several tropes and several sort of styles of literature have come and gone, but vampires have sort of been around. What is it about them that makes them so eternally popular? All right, David, we haven't let you talk first yet. So, so what about you? What do you think makes them so eternally popular? Power. Okay. That's simple for you. Okay. What about you, Declan? Well, the ability to live forever does have its certain lore. Um, and of course, most vampires do seem to be, uh, even with the exception of Bram Stoker, uh, because his Dracula was kind of old and ugly. Um, most vampires have been, you know, yes, well, they all look exceptionally good um, to one degree or another. We won't go into sparkling because we all know that vampires only sparkle when they're covered in napalm. So, yeah, power, the ability to live forever. Um, and there is a mindset where, congratulations, you are now something more. It's kind of the ubermensch, only, you know, with fangs and a bloodlust because now you're more than a person. Now you're a person plus. Uh, you know, if you don't mind not going out into the sun and avoiding cross churches for the rest of your life. Uh, but there's always that kind of attitude lurking somewhere in it. Uh, either that or I just saw Frank Langella's Dracula last week and it still stuck with me. I think they're popular not just um, because of the attributes of being a vampire, but if uh, depending what genre you're in, the being the object of desire of the vampire is very, it's a universal fantasy, right? So if the vampire is uh, fabulously wealthy and attractive, that's the same whether they're a vampire or still alive, right? That's, um, and yet they chose you. This, this, you know, there's that element of, um, appeal right that's that is a universal fantasy also if if you're in a world where vampires turn other vampires and that's how you become made the notion is you turn attractive vampires right like you right. are picking people in their prime to become vampires um, so there's also that notion too that they are the prettiest ones Okay. Uh, well, Tamsin, you got anything to add to that? That What makes the, the vampire mythos so popular? I was trying to think back to what drew me into some of the first ones I read. And for me, it was it was the ability to do extraordinary things that, especially because I do believe I started reading them when I was in high school or at least thereabouts. And they had the power to really take control of their world. And when you're younger and you don't have that, um, it's attractive. 
Um, also, those who are afraid of dying or of not being beautiful or all the things we've already mentioned, those are obviously things. I mean, I think some of the biggest ones are we don't age. But then as you start writing vampires more, like you write your first vampire and, oh, yeah, it's great. I don't age. And as you start getting older yourself, you start thinking about Dear God, if I had to do this for another four or five thousand years, like you start to think about how would I feel about that? Um, and I think it adds an interesting layer to it, um, kind of like how Marvel started doing the whole thing of what are the repercussions of our actions of saving the world? All the people that get hurt and killed and die and, and the fact that how does that affect everyone else around them? And I think that that is also an interesting draw as far as finding something to really give you um, something to fight against and figure out and giving them some real agency. Um, uh, I have a background in theater and so inner dialogue and that kind of stuff really is something for me. And so I think that's another thing that I really loved about vampires was that getting into their head and, you, and the writers, if it's done well, there's this great difference between who they are when they're older and then this younger person that they're chasing or talking to or whatever's in the story. And I think that that's, I think that's something that we find interesting. The idea of not aging and staying beautiful and still getting to learn and become wiser and having money to actually do the things we want to do and traveling the world. I mean, what about any of that isn't attractive? And so I think it's not just one thing. I think it's a culmination of all of that put together into this fantasy for us uh, up to the point where even if they aren't good guys, it's still attractive. And I think that is the key there, that it doesn't matter if they're good or bad or if they're on the line. I think the fact that you mix not aging and being attractive and having the money and being wiser, hopefully, um, that is interesting to all of us, especially if they're then attracted to this person and you, that person is modeled after you or you can put yourself in that place. That's my long answer. Sorry. No, long answers are good. All right, Griffin. So what about you, what do you, yeah, I mean, everything Tamsin said, plus, plus one, plus two, uh, the, the, the key there too, though, is at what cost, mm -hmm. uh, you know, what are they having to sacrifice to, to live as long as they live? Uh, and then also, uh, you know, to what degree are they, uh, you know, Bram Stoker's uh, in Bram Stoker's that person is that Dracula has outlived everybody they ever knew. Uh, except for those kind of mindless uh, uh, vampires. Renfields. Renfield, yeah. But they weren't they he wasn't intended to survive at all. Right. He's just a, a slave uh, that's going to be, you know, discarded eventually anyway. But the, the, the women that he is, uh, you know, his concubines or whatever that he's taken over over time, they're all vampires, but they seem kind of mindless. I don't know. Maybe that's my, my take on the movie or the I haven't read it in 20 years. But, uh, they, you know, he, he, he discovers his first love again. And that is what brings him out of Carpathia and into the world again, into London, into this you know, uh, high, potentially high risk environment is seeking that love that he had, had back when he was a, a mortal. Um, so that kind of thing to be able to, you know, it's one thing as Tamsin was talking about, we get older, our, our friends pass away, uh, you know, our mentors pass away. Uh, you know, one thing, the only thing that appeals to me about being immortal is if I don't have any of the pains that aging has influences me. I'm not, I'm not so worried about dying because it's over. Right. But, but the pain and shit that I'm going through, <laughs> I don't want any more of that than I have to have. Um, yeah, and, if I got to have sciatica for all eternity. Right. Screw yeah, that. Screw that. Yeah. <laughs> no, no mortality for me. Thank you very much. But the, the opportunity to meet again uh, with someone and uh, that you connected with would be pretty fantastic. And I could see that as a good motivating factor or, or something that that's part of the reason why I think that Bram Stoker in, in particular is hung around is because it's also about this monster who has a twisted love for someone. And that person has no idea who it is that is in love with them and why they're in love with them at all. And it's facing into that predator, that creature of power uh, that, that could end you in a moment and yet chooses you, uh, makes it very, uh, very palatable to most, most people who want to read it. You know, that, that it's like, wow, this is, this could be 
me or it could be somebody special. Every reader wants to feel like they're the special person. And not to mention, yeah, yeah, not to mention with the uh, enduring qualities overall, it is such a variable and endlessly varied concept. I've, good Lord, I've seen vampires as an Atlantean nanotechnology, uh, Greek curses, demons. Uh, again, I did the supernatural head cold thing. Um, and those are just ones I can come up with off the top of my head. That doesn't even include Bram Stoker. My favorite in film is Life Force. I, it's it's awesome. <laughs> Patrick Stewart. Uh, it's just it's an amazing film, but they're space vampires. And that's literally the title of the book that it's based off of. What, uh, what missed, about you? This classic, Space I Vampires. Say, I don't miss this. <laughs> And you say Patrick Stewart, I'm down. I don't really give a damn what the hell they're doing. I, I'm I'm down to watch him. I've seen him on Broadway. He's wonderful. I will go to anything. So yeah, it's it's uh, mid '80s uh, uh, space vampires and and zombies and and uh, all Renfro Renfields. It's it's crazy. It's very oh, cool. now I have to see this. '80s says it all. Yes, there's there's a certain something about that era of movie. So so what about you, Tamsin? Do you have a favorite vampire movie? Oh, jeez. Why did you go me first on that one? You're fired. Well, Griffin um, mentioned it first. I'm just riffing on what he did. Um, Does it I, have think, to I think that, gosh, what did I watch the other day? I was rather impressed. Is it Dracula Untold? Not a great film, but I enjoyed the shit out of that thing, and I don't even know why. Um, like I'd have to look back and be like, I, I, I don't know. Like it's just, and I really enjoyed it. I don't know if that's my favorite. Sometimes, um, sometimes popcorn is awesome, right? Like sometimes it really is. Um, but like you know, I'm trying to think of other vampire movies. I mean, obviously, I really did love uh, when they did Dracula. Um, not because it's a classic, but because Carrie Oldman just, just as an actor, someone who's worked with actors as, as my previous like job, um, I, I had to, I had to love his work on that, but, um, I don't really have one that I'm thinking of at the moment. I'm sure that will change the minute everyone says theirs and I'm, oh, oh yeah. But as a kid, Lost Boys was my jam. Okay. Lost Boys was my jam. In a big way. Julia, what about you? Do you have a favorite vampire uh, movie? We're going to get to books next. So right now yeah. we're focusing on the show. Um, I loved Lost Boys. I saw it in the theater. I live 45 minutes from Santa Cruz. So it's oh. special to me geographically. Um, but actually, I love the TV show Dark Shadows when I was younger. And I love the reboot also. So um, it's funny. I know that there are iconic movies like Lestat. But I... I just like that TV show. It was a little cheesy, but it really hit something for me. Okay. David, what about you? I'm not really much of a video person, so I can't say that I have a, a hugely favorite show. The one that did register with me was Dracula 2000. <laughs> the, just the, the staging and the imagery. Uh, uh, the effects of it. Is that, who's the lead in that? Uh, Dracula was being played by um, Leonidas from 300, uh, Gerard Butler. Oh, maybe that's the one I'm thinking of that I love so much. They blur sometimes, y'all. I watched a lot of shit during the pandemic. <laughs> well, it was weird. It was, it, was, it was kind of weird watching Gerard Butler looking, running around looking like he came off the cover of a, of a romance novel. Right? It's like, Dude, put your shirt on, please. <laughs> um, is that the one, the cover where it's kind of gray and there's lots of flying? That might be the one that I did love for no reason mm -hmm. other than it was popcorn worthy. I'd I, have to I, go over there and look, but whatever. Yes. I have to admit to being curious to what the new version of Interview with the Vampire is like. I have not seen it. Has anyone seen it? I don't think it's out yet, right? It comes out this, not this month sometime. I thought yeah. I saw someone talk about maybe they got to see something early. Yeah, there's, there's been some clips on on uh, Facebook, so if it's not out now, it should be soon. Also, I'm friends with a lot of people in the biz, so they might have seen some of it and talked about things. That's what I might be thinking of. So, oops. 
All right. What about you, Declan? Do you have a favorite vampire movie? Uh, I'm largely torn between the original Bela Lugosi and the um, Frank Langella 1975 version. Although I must admit the Langella version, I mostly like for the John Williams soundtrack. Mm. Um, anyway, it's been running through my head for the last hour. Um, but yeah, I, I would like... I like Dracula 2000 well enough. There were some elements where it's like, what was, what was the decision here? Uh, but, uh, you know, in the 2000 version is interesting, if only because of all the varied and sundry people who are in it, uh, from Jerry Ryan from Voyager to Gerard Butler, who, gee, I wonder if he had a career. Um, Johnny Lee Miller, who I tripped over later on as one of the, three different Sherlock TV shows. Um, even Christopher Plummer playing, you know, 120 year old Van Helsing. But, uh, so that was interesting, but uh, I'd probably have to go for uh, the 1975 version. Again, John Williams makes everything awesome. Just see Jaws. I, I don't know. I, for me, I, I like the Underworld franchise. It had the vampires and the yes. werewolves. That was really oh, good. I totally yes. forgot about that. Also there Blade. Was, yeah, <laughs> I was going to say Blade was my other one. Certain somebody in tight leather was, you know, as a guy at a certain age when those came out. I'm just saying, you know, it so is what it is. But... The, the earliest films that I ever, you know, dug that was vampires, Nosferatu, 1922. Uh, totally I'm hoping unlocked. you're not that old, but you could be a vampire and we wouldn't <laughs> um, know. I'm saying as far as just like, you know, zero special effects, all lighting, all like just creepy, creepy, creepy <laughs> and totally unauthorized. Didn't have any light. You know, they just they just <laughs> rough ride it. <laughs> like, Let's yeah. Go. yeah, I'm trying to remember who they're doing in the remake of Nosferatu. It's like, guys, couldn't you just do another Dracula? Yeah. It's been 20 years since the last one I remember. Well, they had one that was like the filming it with uh, Willem, Willem Dafoe. Shadow of the Vampire. Shadow of the Vampire. It's also oh. a good one. Yes, uh, Willem Dafoe and, oh, I'm trying to remember who, who played the director. I can see his face. Uh, it'll come to me again five minutes after we're done talking. Oh, that t-shirt is better. <laughs> <laughs> it's a right, psycho so from In the Line of Fire and Con Air and... Hey, oh. Con Air has its pluses. Yeah, but the bad guy Nicholas was. Cage. <laughs> no, 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 no. Who was the bad guy? And not being Rames. Steve Buscemi? <laughs> Steve Buscemi is the heart of that film. What are you talking about? <laughs> That's going to drive me nuts until I look at the bloody thing up. John and Malkovich. You're driving me nuts, which and Malkovich. that movie is yeah, right over gotcha. there on my shelf. Yeah. Malkovich. <laughs> All right, I got to know. So while she's looking that up, we've talked about favorite movies. Uh, David, you said you're more of a reader than a watcher of the television. So do you have a favorite vampire book other than your own, of course? Um, I have two that I'll nominate. Uh, Robert McKinley's Sunshine, hmm. I think, is just a superb piece of work that kind of turns the whole paranormal romance thing almost on its ear and then one that we haven't talked about uh, Barbara Hamley several years ago maybe 20 years ago began a series with a book entitled Those Who Hunt the Night which is set in Victorian England and that affected me because that that series connected with me because I felt her characters were plausible they just really felt real to me Okay. What about you, Declan? You're well-read. Do you have a favorite um, literary vampire? You mean, aside from my own in the Love at First Bite Quartet coming back from Three Ravens Press? Um, Absolutely. Nice product placement, though. I give you extra points for that. Thank you. I'm getting better, honest. I've, I've taken notes. I've got a cheat sheet. Um, one of the ones I've enjoyed that has fun with the concept uh, is the vampire romance uh, by Carolyn Sparks, who is entertaining, treats the vampires as supernatural, and is half comedy, and then it turns into an action flick. Um, especially when, you know, 
our primary vampire used to be a monk. He, he's gotten saner and uh, he owns the patents on synthetic blood. And it's, it, it's entertaining. The, the first book was he bites into a synthetic human that has blood running through its veins and he breaks a tooth. So he has to go to the dentist. Uh, however, for somebody who takes it seriously, I recommend Dan Simmons, his book, Children of the Night. Uh, yes, it is taken directly from the Bela Lugosi stage play and film, but it's probably one of the better ones I've read as a serious straight-up vampire novel. Uh, but then again, this is Dan Simmons. He can literally write in any genre he likes. Okay. What about you, Griff? Do you have a favorite literary vampire? Yeah, it's got to go with Bram Stoker. It just, uh, yeah. If nobody else is going to take it, I'm taking it. <laughs> uh, it, it, the origin, right? And like I said, the that whole uh, the when you imagine somebody is immortal, reasons to live really kind of figure into it. Uh, and looking for that love that you lost would be a pretty damn good reason to live. And that's that's what I really enjoy about Bram Stoker's uh, original Dracula. Okay. Uh, Julia, what about you? Do you have a favorite one from literature? I do. I love Charlene Harris's True Blood series. Um, I I didn't watch that much of the HBO series. It was actually very different than the novels. And I've reread the, the novels many times. They're just brilliantly written, laugh out loud, funny. Um, and I... I just, I really enjoyed the protagonist, Suki Stackhouse, right, and her relationship with the vampires. And it's zany, but uh, wildly entertaining. And also in that world, there's no veil, right? The vampires are not a secret. They're out in the world. They drink synthetic blood at a diner with you, right? Okay. Tamsin, uh, you care to weigh in? Yeah. Um, interestingly enough, it changed for me. When I was younger, uh, Anne Rice was was my favorite that 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 was the vampire genre and then i and as i got a little older which is funny because as i got older i read some younger books which is hilarious um but um lj smith now everybody knows of the vampire diaries and they know the tv show they don't know the books necessarily books are very different obviously because that always happens but i must have reread that original trilogy of that series more times than I care to count. Um, so much so that when I saw the preview for the TV show, I went, oh, hell no, that is not like, <laughs> and then I ended up having to watch it so I could be on panels for it for Dragon Con. <laughs> but um, that was my favorite. Um, it really was. It was one of the ones that I just loved and the original story. Um, I really just had a thing. I just really loved it tremendously as a, as a young person. And it still holds that place in my heart because of that, I think. And by the way, I did find it. It was Dracula Untold. Okay. Easy thing that I fell in love with during the pandemic that I watched. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So as we bring this puppy to a close, we've, we've covered everything and, and nothing that there is to do with vampires. I've had an enjoyable time. But as we wrap this up, uh, I'm going to give you each a chance to tell us what you're working on now and how readers, listeners, viewers can find you. Um, so we're going to start with you, Griffin, because we're going top to bottom. So uh, I can be found probably at Dragon Con next year, Liberty Con, I'm hoping as well. Uh, but uh, I'm done with cons for the year. Uh, I have uh, several short stories coming out or just came out like today. Um, the My short story, The Key About a Dragon. Uh, came out in uh, World Shapers, uh, World Shapers, Volume Three, uh, with a, a, a like a huge list of celebrity writers, and I'm like, yeah, well, I'm there with you. Uh, and then I've got uh, uh, an homage to a mutual friend of David and mine, uh, uh, Rick Boatwright, that's going to be uh, out uh, in uh, World's Long Lost, uh, which is another Bane uh, anthology. Uh, be coming out in um, January, I think. And okay. a couple of short stories you're working on as well, as well as the ubiquitous novel, et cetera. So I've uh, got a few things coming out. 
So we will link to all of his show notes in the, or all of his social media links in the show notes. And did they give you the, and many more patch when you got into that anthology? Uh, actually, uh, no, that's, I've, I've had the end many mores and actually on world's long lost. I'm actually on the cover and, uh, well noir. done. You're moving up in the world. Yeah, the most recent, uh, noir one too. The, I'm on the cover as well. So I'm like, outstanding. All right. Uh, what are you working on right now, Declan? Probably like 12 books at once, but, uh, and then how can they find you? Only working on five. Um, <laughs> I'm currently working on the sequel to my vampire series. Uh, the sequel series is called Honeymoon from Hell because, yeah, my quote-unquote vampire romance ended in a happily ever after, and then they keep coming after them because why not? Um, but I'm working on that right now. Uh, the original Love at First Bite set is coming from Three Ravens Press, so I'm kind of working on that with them. Uh, my last publisher, Silver Empire, had 30 of my, sorry, 25 of my books published, maybe. So I, I basically, been, I'm still picking up the pieces from that while I'm trying to move to Texas. Anyway, you can find me online at almost every social media site except for BitChute, mainly because I can't figure out how to work that one yet. Um but uh, I'm on Gab as Declan Finn, Declan Finn Books on Twitter. Uh, I'm on a Substack, uh, DeclanFinn.substack. DeclanFinn.com is my blogger site. Um, again, Facebook. Again, you, you type my name in, you'll find me somewhere. All right. What about you, David? What are you working on now? And how can uh, the listeners and viewers find you? Um. Finding me is fairly easy. There's not too many David Carrico fiction writers out there, although there is. I have to warn you, there's a right-wing evangelist out there who has the same name. So uh, if you see David L. Carrico, that is not me. Uh, currently, I am working on my third and unfortunately final collaboration with Eric Flint. It's a space opera with the working title of Hydra. I'm not very far into it, but uh, I have a couple of other things that are in progress, but Hydra's got the front burner right now. Okay. So, uh, Julia, can you tell listeners what you're working on and then what that you're allowed to talk about and then where they can find you? Yeah, I'm deep into the novel drafting of Bricks and Murder, which is book two in our Seattle Slayers series. It will be coming out later this year. Uh, with tour, we are still waiting on a cover. And so we don't even have art yet for that book. Uh, but the pre-order links are up and it comes out in July for um, 2023. So Ebony Gate in July of 2023. You know, with a title like that, you should have picked one of the Griffin Barber trademark backgrounds of the, uh, the brick <laughs> wall. It would have been too perfect. You know, I've been having fun with the mid-journey AI um, and generating all kinds of really fun concept art that's just to inspire my writing and i really recommend it as a tool for just, i will you know, get with you after this about that ai because i've heard yes, about people yes. doing this uh, ai created imagery for the fun of it and I, it might be worth playing with just for reasons because sometimes it's, we need thumbnails <laughs> well it's really great as a visualization tool for your writing outstanding all right tamsin uh what are you working on right now and how can listeners and viewers find you um, currently, I am doing the edits from book one of the trilogy Moon Over Manhattan, uh, which is a, as it sounds, a werewolf novel in New York. Um, but we've got everyone else in that involved. Um, most recently that came out was book three in the Billy the Kid trilogy, The Murder of Cricket Kugler. Let me get that centered. Yay! Um, such a great cover. I love it. Um, it's just creepy enough and great for this time of year plug self plug um um and uh other than that you can find me tamsin silver is not a popular name uh when i took it as my name for writing there was one person with that name out in england who wrote some paper on the uh, third reich and the war thankfully now if you look it up she is buried pages down in google so if you look up tamsin silver you won't you won't find her anymore. You'll find everything for me, but that's what I'm under and anything just like, just like Declan said, if you put it in somewhere, you're going to find, you're going to find me on that social media. 
Okay, and you can find us on Twitter at twitter.com backslash SF underscore fantasy underscore show. Sierra Foxtrot underscore fantasy underscore show. You can email us at blastersandbladespodcast at gmail.com. Again, blastersandbladespodcast at gmail.com. We have a Facebook group where all the shenanigans happen over at facebook.com backslash groups backslash blastersandbladespodcast. Again, backslash groups backslash blasters and blades podcast we have a website over on anchor.fm backslash blasters dash and dash blades again anchor.fm backslash blasters tech and tech blades where for as little as 99 cents a month you can help keep the lights on and last but not least you can support the show more directly over at buymeacoffee.com backslash author jr handley again buymeacoffee.com backslash author jr handley be sure to put in the comment section that it is for the podcast and i promise i will buy copious amounts of garlic to protect doc seska and nick garber from all the bitey stabby vampires out there um but we wanted to thank you for spending some of your precious time with us i know it's cheesy but it's the season so i had to go with it uh so thank you for spending your time with us we'll be back next week at the same time where we'll indulge our love of nerd culture cheesy jokes and all things that go boom. And I want to thank each and every one of you for, for joining us tonight. It was great. You did great. It was outstanding. We'll have to have you guys all back at different times for different things because you're all awesome. <laughs> <laughs>